My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Special. Special is not even a good enough word. This is a day that we've been waiting for quite some time on this show. It's funny when you finally arrive at a moment that you've been waiting for and you realize how much time has passed since you started to wait for that moment. Mm-hmm. We've we've been waiting for the Batman for, I mean, Pattinson got, got cast in 2019, I think. So this has been a long road. Uh, today I'm joined by my co-host Kate Onder, who is no longer senior gaming news writer. And at Screen Rant and is now a contract video game writer at comicbook.com. So congrats to our boy, Cade. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. And today we are also joined by my old co-host, Morning Brews, Brandon Katz. Great Catsby. He's Baxby. What's going on, homie? <laughs> Thank you for the warm welcome. I'm excited to finally be back at Post Cred Pod, my old stomping grounds. Though, Cade, you have done a wonderful job stepping up, man. I've been loving the guy, the, the show between you guys. But, uh, you know, I'm happy to come back and talk about the Batman, a topic near and dear to Eric and I's heart. <laughs> we had said before you left that we had to get you back for this podcast. And you just got to love when plans work out the way that you hope that they do. Destiny, man. Not only that, but you and I actually went to a showing of it last night together. So I was with you when you saw it for the the first time. And since I (laughs) uh, released like a mini review podcast uh, as soon as I got home. So I've already shared my sort of large baseline thoughts on the film. So I definitely want to start off with you guys here. We'll start with Brandon and then we'll swing to Cade. What are your sort of general thoughts of the Batman, which currently as things stand has a 84% Rotten Tomato score, which is a dip. It's been dipping a bit. Uh, I know, I think that's about on par with Batman Begins. So, B, talk to us. Yeah, so I put out a big uh, tweet thread on my my overall thoughts on the Batman, and I'll probably borrow a little bit from that. But I think people need to very much realize, even though Matt Reeves has said it, that this is a hard-boiled detective noir. It is a long murder mystery story, not really like a smart popcorn action thriller like Christopher Nolan's. Neither is better or worse than the other. It depends solely on what you want out of your Batman movie. So for me, I I really love the character psychology. I love the textured world building. I thought they did a great job handling an ensemble cast. The supporting performances is great. Michael Giacchano's score is amazing. I think there are times when the Batman's like overly self-serious nature. And I don't mean like grim dark. I mean, it's deep commitment to both the noir elements and to being the most realistic comic book movie ever. I think sometimes those can hurt it. But I think overall, it does this great job of arguing about how wealth is super corrosive and how the unintended consequences of Batman are actually worse than the evil he's fighting in times. I think Bruce and Alfred's dynamic is really great. That's a good emotional core I want to see develop over the course of the trilogy. And as everyone has been saying, as you and I said last night when we saw it, uh, Pattinson and Kravitz, their chemistry is palpable. I was sweating in the theaters because you could cut that sexual tension with a (laughs) knife. And I think uh, overall, my main takeaway too, if I'm looking at a macro point of view, is 
This movie benefits the most I've seen from being disconnected from the DCEU and being its own world. It fully leverages that standalone nature to create something that is wholly apart from what we've gotten from the DC recently. So overall, I have my qualms. I need to rewatch it before I, I finalize it, but I give it an 8.7 out of 10. That's high. Yeah, I, I, you know, I very, very much like this movie. Very yeah, much. Yeah. Cade, what about you, man? Oh, I, I fucking loved it. Um, <laughs> I, I really... There the, are we spoilers? Are we, are we um, waiting? Let's let's wait a bit. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll keep this general then. Uh, actually, I mean, if you want to make a point, we could do it now. Uh, it, it's not even really a spoiler. It happens very like first twenty minutes of the movie. But well, let this be the first of many warnings that this yeah. is going. If you to really don't want to know anything, yeah, this is a spoiler podcast. Yeah. So once we're done sharing our sort of general top line thoughts, we'll be diving we'll really into the plot, it. character yeah. reveals. So this is warning. <laughs> Number one, spoiler warning, you've been warned. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it as general as possible here. But very early on in the movie, like the first Batman scene, because there's like a prologue and then there's a scene where you're Bruce Wayne narrating and talking about Gotham and it's cutting between like three different crimes that are happening in Gotham and the music is building, their narration's getting more intense. And I was fucking over the moon. I was like, I'm in great hands here. Matt Reeves gets it. And um, it's one of the best Batman scenes like ever, in my opinion. That scene is so good. And the world that he builds, Brandon said textured. I think that's a perfect way of, of putting it. Um, it's interesting. I don't feel like this is a realistic movie. It's grounded. I feel like um, the Dark Knight trilogy was, was much more this is Batman in the real world. This is a otherworldly Batman in my opinion with this is with more what if, elements what if Batman's world was real yes that, I guess that's a really good way of putting it um and, and it makes the world feel like you are sinking into this grimy dirty filthy city where there's no hope and Batman kind of agrees but as you, the movie progresses um he learns that's maybe the city can find hope in some way and he can be the beacon for that hope. It's just, it's, it's a phenomenal, uh, I don't want to use the word deconstruction, but for lack of a better word, I will of, of Gotham city, Batman, his, his road gallery, all that. And I ear to ear, just smiling the whole three hours. I couldn't believe how much it, it just moved and didn't feel like it dragged for those three hours. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah, I think one thing that you touched on that I certainly felt is the way that it drags you in, really with those first two scenes, both the Riddler killing that starts mm -hmm. off the film. The way the film starts, classic music just pops up, and then you mm -hmm. get the, the, in big font the Batman, and Brandon just turned to me like wide-eyed, and he was like, whoa. Like it worked. <laughs> so what, what did I say? Once the classical music hit, what did I say immediately was going to oh. happen? We are five seconds into this film starting. It goes, someone's getting killed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they're setting the stage for some grisly murder yeah, right here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but just the way that you sort of are indoctrinated into his vision immediately and it wraps its arms around you and doesn't let go for the entire film is really probably one of the more impressive aspects of this film. Kate, I, I hadn't really thought about it in the grand scheme of Batman scenes of all time. But that introduction to him really does rank up there. And as I put it in my review, like for the first time ever, when the bat symbol hit the night sky, I understood what it would be like to be scared of that. 
Like, yeah. Like, the way yeah. that the movie was able to sort of, I mean, when he explains that they think I'm in the shadows, but I am the shadows, that is such a deep understanding of what the character is and what he mm-hmm. should be. Whereas, like, The Dark Knight did something similar at the start of the film where, like, criminals see the, see the, uh, mm-hmm. um, bat symbol in, in the sky and kind of tuck tail, but it didn't have that same sense of legitimate dread. horror and yeah. dread that this did where they, you know, they reminded me of like, I don't want to go to jail. These guys were like, <laughs> I don't want to get the shit kicked out. Yeah. 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 yeah you yeah. know, it's really, it's pulling you into the darkness. And I remember just looking at, at the blackness of like the shadows that they were sort of pulling you into. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like, fuck, like, if he pops out, like, I, I'm going to shit my pants right now. Like, that is how legitimately <laughs> wrapped into it I felt, uh, that I was able to relate to the criminal point of view and understand what it would be like to actually live in Gotham and have this guy out there doing his thing. So let this be the second warning now that we've sort of, oh, and my general thoughts are, I, you know, I, I will say that the second viewing had a bit of a fight club effect to it which is something that i've talked about on the show a few times we're in once they lift the veil and once you're aware of the plot and how it unfolds mm. it doesn't quite have that same grasp of you now that's not mm. to say that i didn't enjoy it thoroughly on my second viewing but i will say that make sure the first time you see this you see it you know yeah. don't like watch it at home streaming and text make sure if you're going to watch this you give yourself to it because if you do it sweeps you away into what I think is just a stunning crime epic. This movie is huge. One of my literal notes was, I can't believe the studio made a Batman movie like this happen mm-hmm. when, when you consider that he is probably one of the most franchisable, bankable superheroes and or general heroes in Hollywood as a whole. The fact that they would let Reeves commit so thoroughly to this sort of frankly disturbed take is brave of them. And Warner Brothers should get credit for it. Sorry, just quickly, a Warner Brothers executive, I think, said yesterday, Batman is arguably the most important IP they've ever had. It has to be, right? I mean, unless you include... Storied a 100-year-old franchise and studio, and they're like, no, Batman's number one. Yeah, Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and I think that even speaks further to how impressed I am that they allowed Reeves to really do his thing. So, with all that said, this is your second and biggest warning. This is a spoiler warning. This podcast will be containing... Utter and total spoilers for the plot, the reveals, the characters of the Batman. Okay? Okay. All right. Let's start with the plot itself. The very noir, you know, dragged out, not in terms of, like, in a bad way. It's just the whole movie is solve- is sort of unpacking the mystery box plot. So one of the things that I was really sort of blown away by is how many people in their reviews have name-checked zodiac and seven Mm -hmm. so i kind of want to hear you guys thoughts on those comparisons if you think it's warranted and what you sort of thought as of the noir plot and vibe as a whole see i I took it like this burton's movies to me were gothic greek greek theater with like stylistic you know modern flair and and theatrics nolan like i kind of set up top intelligent action thrillers with a political slant and then Mm -hmm. reeves as we've been saying hard-boiled detective noir it is a conspiracy movie that's most interested in the legwork of an investigation and the complicit layers of evidence that are further exposing the depths of the cesspool that is gotham city that is what is the the riddler's 
ultimate uh, uh, direction via his crimes and clues to the next one. And I think that's really, really, really cool. A really great way of digging deeper into the secrets of this city, establishing Gotham itself as a character, which I know we'll get to, and embroiling such a wide cast of characters that Batman fans know from the rogues gallery and beyond, and doing so in a way where each character has great motivations and kind of great textured details. I thought that was really great. I will say the mystery itself is not much of a mystery in my opinion. The, they mm-hmm. intentionally, in, in my view, telegraph a lot of the big reveals so that the audience knows them before Batman does. You know, from right from the first act, I'm like, okay, so this is going to end with Thomas Wayne being exposed as doing something unseemly or at least something that's, that's not so great. It's going to really fuck with the psyche <laughs> of Bruce Wayne. Now, whether or not that's an effective way to set up this quote unquote mystery, I think is up for debate. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I'm like, well, you know, it's not like seven because we we don't know the big reveal murder mystery character uh, because we know the Riddler's from it from uh, with it from the jump. But I love that it is a bunch of flawed traumatized characters circling the drain because that's very much Zodiac is about the psychological repercussions this killer had on both his surviving victims and the, the people caught in the ancillary web and a community as whole seven is very much how these character flaws interact with this killer's goals. And I think this is a a mixing of both for sure, just under the trappings of a, a comic book movie. And that's really effective. The actual plot as it unfurls, is not very shocking or, or twisty in narrative or clever. It's just good. It's a good, solid legwork investigation. So uh, I liked a lot of it. I think sometimes it gets a little too committed to the bit with these, you know, very heavy-handed voiceovers like Rorschach and Watchmen where I'm like, okay, I thought the same. Yeah. a bit over the top. And then there's certain moments where the realism and the noirism actually conflict to create, I don't want to say unintentional comedy, but I'm like, that one tiny moment was a little bit absurd for me, but overall, hell yeah, this was awesome. It's a Batman movie unlike we've seen across the 10 or so solo Batman movies. No one's done a detective story. No, yeah, I feel I feel a lot of the same, especially you, you have a three-hour movie that is largely resolving around a mystery. You kind of want at least to be involved in that mystery a bit more, not knowing it. Because this also goes back to just the trailers. I feel like kind of gave a lot of it away. They're like, the Waynes, the Waynes. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going back to the Telltale Batman stuff, you know, and that's fine. I, I don't mind that. It's just, uh, I, I would have liked to be a little more in suspense of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree with a lot of the Seven and Zodiac comparisons. Like Seven is like almost always raining and this movie is always raining yeah. and that it has a very dirty, filthy look to it. So is this movie. Um, well, and I think with the comparisons to Seven too is, the duo of Gordon and Batman, sort of the grizzled veteran with the know-how and sort of the young, eager pop in Batman was very similar to the dynamic between Morgan Freeman's character and Brad Pitt's. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And then the Zodiac stuff is obviously the riddles, right? You know, the the messages, taunting, all of that. Um, It it is a very, the inspirations are very obvious to me. Um, And I, I, I don't mind that. I really think those movies are fucking awesome. They're some of the yeah. best mysteries and thrillers out there. So if you're going to take inspiration from any, you're going to go to those. Yeah. What's, what's um, the old saying when you steal, you have to steal from the best. Exactly. Like that. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I thought that worked really well. Again, I, I don't know if the, uh, 
the mystery really works in terms of like I would have liked it to in terms of not knowing what was going to happen, but it's still good, right? Like it's as long yeah. as it's effective and at the end you're like still impacted by it, that's what matters. You know, I always say like people are like, oh, movies are too predictable or whatever. I'm like, it doesn't matter if at the end I'm still impacted. You know, when Logan died and Logan, I was still like, I saw that coming from a mile away. When the movie was announced, I knew it was going to happen, but I was right. still teary-eyed, crying, sobbing. So I'd say uh, I'd say that's all that matters if it's, if it's effective. And, and Cade, to your point that you just mentioned, and Eric, to your point about, uh, uh, about the Fight Club effect and seeing it for the second time, when I see it for the second time, I'm very curious if this very functional but unsurprising mystery intersects with each character's arc in a better way. So I'm like, hey, there wasn't a big twist reveal. There wasn't anything shocking, but each leg added another chapter to their individual emotional uh, beats. That's what I'm going to look for in my second watch because I can see them really kind of being a a symbiotic relationship. And that makes up for a lack of, you know, blockbuster mystery in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it is just a really dense movie. I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like, there's a lot more going on in this movie than I ever expected. Like uh, the B plot, I guess if you would call it that is like half the movie, you know? And I was like, this is, this is a lot. And I could see if the movie was two and a half hours or whatever, closer to two, that would have probably gotten cut down a bit. But um, I was really impressed with how much it's not just about solving this mystery, but the overall corruption and, uh, again, filth of Gotham and Batman trying to break it all down while solving this mystery. And Riddler's almost kind of helping him in a sense by exposing the corruption of Gotham, um, which is very interesting that he's not, you know, I don't want to say he's not a bad guy because he obviously is. He's terrible. He's doing some awful shit, but he's he's exposing, you know, like, hey, Gotham, not so good as we, you know, not a secret. Yeah, but. One, <laughs> one of my notes when we get to Riddler's part is, is he right? <laughs> but to your guys point about sort of the i don't want to say lack of depth because that sounds harsh but that's basically what we're talking about here the lack of complexity of the central mystery i actually think in hindsight that's a good thing because if it was too much of a sort of mind fuckery then your brain becomes entirely focused on trying to solve it right whereas this Whereas in this sense, we were more of like along for the ride. While there were no sort of blockbuster prestige-esque reveals that mm-hmm. flips the whole movie on its head, each progression of Bruce and Gordon mm-hmm. learning something, I was like, oh, okay. I can mm-hmm. like I was able to still be mildly surprised while being able to follow along. So while the Thomas Wayne thing, right? Like we knew that going into the film. But I thought it was really smart the way that they sort of not only weaved in Thomas Wayne's corruption, but they were able to make that a a symbiotic relationship with Carmine Falcone's corruption and the corruption of the city of a whole through that fund. And so when they're able to do that without having you obsess, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like a good mindfuck film to compare to, but largely when you watch those for the first time, Shutter Island, right? That whole yeah. time you're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on here. And that consumes you. That could be both good and bad. But I think the Batman sort of stays away from that, which it gives you enough of a scratch to keep your brain off balance, but not enough where you are removed from the primary experience. And the primary experience is going through this with Batman and watching Batman 
solve this and not so much solving it yourself. Mm. I think then from here, we should talk about the place that this noir plot is set. And that is Gotham City in the general atmosphere of the setting of this film as a whole. Kate, as you touched on, always raining, which Mm -hmm. I think is both a thematic choice, right? Rain just makes things miserable (laughs) and just like literally makes going outside a fucking process. But also I think it helped the cinematography because it gave the world sort of this reflective sleekness to it that any light and there is very few light in this town but right. we, but when it when there is light it sort of glows and flares and it reminded me aesthetically of and this is when you're able to be named in the same sentence as these two films when you're a batman movie mm-hmm. that is an accomplishment in and of itself it reminded me aesthetically i'm like this is not a bit i'm dead serious of Blade Runner and Taxi Driver. No, I fully like, agree with those you. Those were the yeah. two. That's cool. Those That's a really cool comp. Yeah. Yeah, those were the two sort of cinematic inspirations that I was able to visually understand, and for them to be able to pull that off with a Batman film is just next level. I don't think that this is gonna contend for Best Picture, but I think if it does contend at Oscars at all, cinematography and set design and all that—that that is where it could have some success so mm-hmm. what did you guys think of gotham city and sort of the film's use of atmosphere as a whole brandon i know that you said it was a character unto itself which is sort of a cliche when talking about batman films because that is usually what they try to do but i think in this case they very much succeeded pulling inspirations from some of the more grounded takes on gotham year one year yeah. two long halloween and one inspiration that i found was the 1993 film mask of the phantasm where not only is the city itself cursed but so is bruce wayne so b actually you know what now we'll switch to kate kate we'll start with you talk to me about gotham and sort of the lack of a better term vibes (laughs) vibes <laughs> yeah I, I like the aesthetic um it's it's very very nice because uh you know the the common thing that people said about uh the dark knight trilogy was like it's, it looks like chicago and it's because it mostly is set in chicago and i think like pittsburgh or something and uh this movie i think shot some scenes in chicago and there's like you can see like the the trains and stuff you know those are a common landmark there but otherwise i'm like i can't i can't tell where they filmed this this feels like a gotham city from another world and you know we haven't really gotten that since i would say the burton movies um and i i was immediately captivated by that because um when like the first batman scene when he's narrating you see this big city skyline, I guess. And there's a bunch of neon signs. There's like Gotham brands. And then there's like Budweiser and the Marriott. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is a weird fucking world, but I'm in. And, and it, it feels crowded and claustrophobic. And like, it's almost caving in on itself. Like it doesn't feel like there would be a lot of room for Batman to go on big car chases. Like the one we do see in the movie, but he's on like the freeway or whatever. So it's, it makes sense. But um it's a very tight movie and i think the blade runner comparison is is perfect because you know in blade runner 2049 and and i guess the first one you have those sweeping shots of this big city it's very slow they're like minute long shots of just like here's this huge neon lit city it's always raining and, and weird and it lets you soak it in and this movie does a lot of that too and then um another thing about that is 
everyone in this movie, I said this to Eric, is everyone in this movie moves like a snail. And I, I don't know why. I don't know if you guys felt Dude, that Kate, way. Dude, Kate, but... I, I thought about that when I rewatched it last night, and I totally know what you're talking yeah. about. This is dead on. It's very strange, but it, it goes into the Blade Runner comparison because that movie is very slow moving. Right. With purpose. It wants you to soak it all in. It wants it to be very detail-oriented and for you to absorb all of it. So in a, if they had the same script in the hands of another director, they'd probably move a little faster, and that's fine. But... Uh, this direction allows you to really take in this crafted world that's very textured, as we keep saying. Catsby? So I think, I love what you guys are saying, and I think my take is that in Nolan's films, Gotham was more of an ideal than a character because Gotham itself was any nameless industrial city right. as we con- consumed those films, as we watched those films. It, it could have been any, like you said, Chicago, could have been Pittsburgh, New York, whatever. It wasn't really about that. It was more an ideological character. Mm-hmm. Here in the Batman, though, with what Reeves has done, it's a very meticulously constructed dumpster city <laughs> where I felt like as the camera moves, each corner sketches its own story that I'd be interested in hearing. Like, what happened on that? Like, some crazy shit went down there. And I think the general psyche of the city's citizens feels very embedded in the relentless downpour of the rain and the dilapidated state of the city. And as we've been saying, there's a reason David Fincher seven, which never identifies its central city by name, Mm -hmm. but is similarly downtrodden and cast in a constant gloom as an inspiration. And I think for the first time in the entire Batman franchise, and that includes uh, Reeves more kind of Gothic uh, old school throwback Gotham, that this Gotham feels like a shithole that is well and truly festering. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds funny, but it is a reflection of the socioeconomic, psychological, and emotional subconscious of this entire city. And I thought it was really intertwined into the kind of character psychology and forward propulsiveness of the plot very well. I I think another very interesting thing they do is like, there's a lot of lore in this world, like the drops. We don't really know what's Mm. going on with that specifically. We see them. Yeah. 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 Uh, Like even at the beginning of the movie, the guy robbing the like corner store is wearing the drops like logo or whatever the hell it's supposed to be. It's like weird, like pumpkin helmet thing kind of. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. Uh, Which drug would you rather try the looper drops or the Gotham drops? Ooh. <sighs> Looper drops did not look did not look like the come down was quite no fun, no. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> no but it, but it looked like the come up was more fun than whatever the fuck was going on in Gotham yeah. it's probably accurate yeah I don't know kids don't do drugs, drugs. Yeah. yes um at least ones that you don't ingest through your eyeballs <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's a very interesting world with against lore and you know they have at least two different hbo max series that they're doing mm. the gotham show and then the penguin series and it seems like they could possibly do a catwoman uh, show with where she's going <sighs> And um, I would love to see more of her signing yeah. up right now. <laughs> like her just so, fucking robbing people blind. Love it. It would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. So so there's a, a very expansive world here. And, uh, you know, we see some other characters that maybe I didn't expect to see, both in Arkham and maybe not out uh, outside of Arkham. Uh, the one that you referenced, uh, Hush mm, and stuff. Yeah. So there's a layered world here. Yeah. Speaking of... This world building feels very seamless. You know, I, I mentioned to Eric after we got out, 
uh, Snyder's uh, clues in, in world building to future adventures was so haphazardly hamstrung yeah. in there in Batman v Superman. Whereas this, every single element feels like it gets its own self-contained, unbelievably reasonable story, character mo- motivation, etc. I'll talk about it a little bit more when we get there, but I, I really love the way he in- intro- introduced further threads in the Gotham world and the DC world that we're going to get to know more yeah. in future movies. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about the man himself. And I want to make the distinction that Robert Pattinson's Batman and Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne are two different things. Mm-hmm. So let's start with Robert Pattinson's Batman. I have a few sort of key um, Batman elements that I think, whether consciously or subconsciously, fans ponder when we get a new version. And that's mm-hmm. his suit, so his look, right? Mm-hmm. His voice his sound so Mm -hmm. just very baseline aesthetic sort of cues and then his fighting style Mm -hmm. so i will start here i thought the bat suit was fucking incredible i think other than the other than the sort of weird like vampire collar vibe that he had going on (laughs) which i also think is a sort of i think that they did that so we could turn his fucking head which fair play like Mm -hmm. i i too would like to turn my head while, (laughs) while fighting crime so i thought the aesthetic of sort of the Arkham Knight, militarized, yet still sort of this guy made this in his garage with like an old welding tool. You know what I mean? I just love the whole very homemade, very tactile look to him. I thought that his fighting style, sort of the utter brutality of it all, where, you know, there are moments where he doesn't seem like he's going to stop. And he doesn't seem like he's capable of reeling himself in. He will, he is the definition of that meme of sending people to the ER for selling weed. Like this man, was, <laughs> this, this man was breaking shoulders and kneecaps left and right. And that That's is, amazing. and that I think adds to what I think this movie does best. And that is its understanding. Of, and this sounds simple, but when you look at, you know, I think I like Ben Affleck's Batman more than most, but it is, He's wildly mischaracterized. Mm. And Zach has been on this show twice, and I'm a huge fan of his work, but he is. He's mischaracterized in his motivations and the way that he goes about accomplishing his goals. Here, I think that this is sort of the perfect understanding of what Batman is driven to do and how he goes about doing those things. So when you combine the atmospheric terror of Gotham with the tangible terror of not only am I scared shitless of him showing up, but if he does show up, I'm leaving here one inch from a body bag. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think that the intersection of those two things w- was powerful. Not only is the idea of him terrifying, but the literal consequences of him showing up are also terrifying. And then as for the bat voice, I am sort of indifferent to the bat voice as long as we aren't in Dark Knight Rises range. <laughs> like if you listen to Bale and Batman Begins, he actually sounds really fucking cool. And yeah. for whatever reason, it got progressively worse and worse. So knowing that that's become a meme in the 10 years since, I am imagining that this franchise will avoid that same trap. But overall, I think to add to the subconscious uh, general human understanding that Matt Reeves has of what Batman is and who he should be, he also had an understanding of what Batman should look and sound like. I don't know who tweeted it, but it was like, never have booted footsteps sounded so scary. And that, to me, is sort of the perfect epitomization of what this film did well with its main character. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, 
he almost has this Michael Myers-esque like feeling to him where he has this kind of slow walk and he appears and disappears and all this stuff. And <laughs> yeah, great and is, you know, using the shadows, you know, there's that iconic shot from Halloween where Laurie's like against a wall or whatever. And he's just like in the corner of the shot. And I, I fucking love that. And it feels like that could be replaced by Batman. Um, and he is, you know, he says, like you said, I'm not in the shadows. I am the shadows. And that is completely true. Uh, he feels I, like, I just have like one thing to say yeah yeah of course of course he does use the shadows particularly in the opening but like this dude's not operating in the shadows he's hanging with <laughs> the entire precinct not, yeah. one cop, not two cops, the entire precinct then he's helping out with like regular firefighters in front of like all of gotham when when that shit goes down yeah this man is exposing himself all over the place and there would be sure. pictures of him spread across the entire <laughs> internet like high quality pictures yeah. not blurry ones but yeah, your, your point is absolutely true, particularly in the building. I, I just thought that was an unintentionally funny bit. I'm like, this dude is uh, <laughs> not shy about conversing with the public. Sure, he, sure. It, it kind of reminded me of that character from Hey Arnold who would pop up behind the blonde girl. Like, <laughs> huh? His stinky would pop up behind Elga. Helga. Helga. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. I I I think he's a very effective uh Batman in terms of just being the one that strikes fear in the hearts of these criminals. You know, the boots are like spurs of like a cowboy almost, where he walks in, you see them, and you're just like, fuck, this guy's about to mess some people up. Yeah. And uh again, the suit is like it's got like um you know crevices in them or whatever you can tell it's like um, not stitched together but welded together it's different metal pieces put together and it's mechanical and uh it's also very um resourceful the bat symbol is basically his batarang which i thought was so cool mm, um i didn't even realize that yeah he, he takes it out to like cut open the yeah yeah, yeah but i didn't connect the fact that that is essentially what batarang like what it does yeah what it, yeah yeah, like he he didn't use one in the film except no. for that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's there's all sorts of things that like it's just a really well designed, purposeful suit that you can tell he's thought of everything when he's in a bind. He can, you know, move his wrist and shoot the grappling hook out. He doesn't need to reach to his belt or anything. He's always prepared for any sort of opportunity he needs to get out of a jam or whatever, which I think is just brilliant. And uh, the voice. Yeah, I, I thought. It's it's good because he just more lowers his voice than like rah, rah, rah. and and I think that's a much that's, smarter take. That's how you podcast, baby. <laughs> it's 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 a very smart uh take on on Batman. And I, I really like I'm excited to talk about his Bruce Wayne stuff too. But uh I was surprised that like 90% of the movie is just Batman. He's in the costume as yes. as Batman yeah. more than Bruce Wayne. I mean, you guys know this about me. I've said it on this pod. I've said it on Twitter a million times. I don't really give a shit about the comic book costumes or comic book <laughs> accuracy or like if they, as long as they don't look uh, uh, egregiously silly or stupid, I like them. And so like all the Batman suits, except for like bat nipples and bat nipples for the most part, I'm like, yeah, that that's cool. His voice is fine. Like I, I don't, that those are the, the aesthetic details that I don't really care about. So I think you guys covered it super well. I will say for me, this was the most transformational Batman we've seen in live action, which I thought was really cool because Nolan's trilogy, it's all about saving the soul of Gotham mm -hmm. and how Batman uh, plays into that. Here, the Batman begins with Bruce figuring out not only how to even be Batman, still trial and error to a great degree, but what the symbol actually means. 
And beyond that, how that symbol can be leveraged to affect the actual citizens of Gotham, not just the criminals, everybody, a wider net of influence. And he is a Batman that is, obviously, you could tell from the trailers, and then once you see it, it's even more obvious, gripped in rage and fury, driven by pain and trauma. So he consumes everything in his life, in and out of the suit, through that lens, and truly hasn't seen the bigger picture yet. And at the end of this movie, we start to get the inklings of that, which I think is a great tease for future films. And I think it's the push towards legitimacy that the Harvey Dent storyline was so crucial for in The Dark Knight that this is setting up just for his character alone. So uh, I think that was really, really well executed. And as I've said up top, it does such a great job of kind of arguing that wealth is a corrupting force, particularly over time. Wealth can be a blind spot in his Batmaning. And the fact that he is Batman, his effect may be much more adverse than he realizes. And that it draws a proportional and sometimes even even more extreme response, his very being. So I, I thought that the movie did a great job of raising a lot of different questions and depicting this iteration of the character in a different and uh, new way that offers more psychological traits for us to pick apart as critics and nerds who just obsess over this shit. <laughs> yeah. That, I, that's my actually official job title. What? critic and nerd like, who, who likes <laughs> yeah. to pick this shit apart i like that yeah I, I, that's, uh, that sounds like the pinnacle of, of our profession right there yeah <laughs> i i think it's a very effective batman because at the beginning of the movie he's kind of just like he knows there's a big crime family out there and he's kind of just focusing solely at the beginning just picking on petty criminals or whatever because he's got this rage filled and he's he wants to take on these fucking guys that he knows he are to kind whoop of, some ass yeah he, he's got some anger right he's yeah. he's still upset about his parents and he wants to go find guys who kind of fit that you know profile totally and um but as the movie goes on, he's, he's building fear from the ground up, but begins to realize that he also needs to create hope. He needs to uh, not just create fear, but give hope to the fearful. You know, he yeah. needs to be sure that Gotham knows that not to just be scared of him, but to realize he will protect them. And, yeah. you know, they, they very well illustrate that kind of towards the end of the movie when he's in the water going towards those people and they're not sure what to do they're kind of scared of him almost and then he reaches out his hand and the kid goes with him first and then everyone else joins him and he leads them to safety and i was like come on this <laughs> Dude, is we, had, we had talked about that shot before the film came out because we were sort of confused by its context mm -hmm. that shot has been living rent free in my yeah. head since mm -hmm. the over the head where he's holding the flare and he's leading Perfect. the people yeah i mean and I think that you guys both make good points that sort of transition well into the conversation about Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne. And this is sort of a two-fold point here that B brought up about like Batman being out in the open towards the end and not necessarily using the shadows. And so one of my complaints, and when I say complaints, it's like I didn't necessarily, it didn't bother me, but both through a combination of what people are used to seeing from Batman and their preconceived feelings about Robert Pattinson. My boss cast cannot get over the twilight thing. He just can't. He's really, like, he, he's got, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's like partially a bit, but <laughs> he holds a legitimate grudge. And I agreed. Bruce Wayne's 
Bruce Wayne in this film, I said to Brandon last night, seems like vaguely on the spectrum. Like he doesn't know yes. how to communicate. I, I don't or, know if he's on the spectrum or he's just so angry and like traumatized that he doesn't give a fuck. Either way, his ability to communicate and emote properly mm-hmm. is non-existent. Yeah. Right? No, yeah. So, right. and so when you combine that with his, as B put out, his willingness to sort of be out in the open, I think that those are two those are the ends to the means of him understanding, as Kate said, he needs to become a symbol for the fearful. He needs yeah. to. And that's why I think that the sort of desperately dark place that we find Bruce in only works in the macro. And if you look at it in terms of this is his starting point, right? So mm-hmm. he has room to grow. He needs to grow because not only is Gotham finding its humanity and hope, but so is Bruce Wayne. Yeah. So I think that the version of the character that we're going to see in the Batman 2 is going to be a much more emotionally well-rounded person. And I think that that is a smart choice because I think that watching Bruce Wayne, watching Bruce Wayne grow is different than watching Batman grow. And I'm yeah. not ever sure that we've seen Bruce Wayne evolve. We've seen Batman understand, you know, uh, the hero that they need, but not the one that they deserve, blah, 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 all that shit. That has nothing to do with Bruce Wayne as a person, right? Mm -hmm. So that is why I think that in the micro, yes, the emo nature of Bruce did rub me a little bit the wrong way. But when I consider it in the context of where this story wants to go, I think it fits. Now, this was Kevin Claire. Sorry, excuse me. This was clever character building and plot setup for future films because batman begins is the best bruce wayne movie we've ever gotten and that's one of my one of the reasons it's still my number two favorite batman movie because that is the psychology of bruce wayne that is his development him changing and the rest of the dark knight trilogy doesn't really care well, much would about you say bruce that's wayne. him changing or him simply finding himself as batman I, no, I don't think I, I would Bruce himself is, is a different person by the time that film ends. I think his I, understanding of what Batman is. I'm, I'm talking more about his journey to to get to a point where he realizes what Bruce Wayne has to do to, to fulfill the hole in his heart and at, at large. And I think it's really interesting and it's bouncing off, you know, your spiel just now. Batman, not much of a Bruce Wayne character yet. And like you said, at first, his complete and utter lack of emotion and communication and both inner and outwardly dialogue was really frustrating to me, but I really thought about it more. They're smartly hinting towards the development over the course of the trilogy because every other Batman film, you have Alfred and you have Lucius Fox and you have love interests trying to get Bruce to put down the cow and carve out a life for himself saying, you deserve a life, you deserve this, which is all true. Here, they kind of flip it. It's argued that Bruce Wayne needs to heal in order for Batman to fulfill his potential. And that's the note they leave you on. And I was like, holy shit, that is a great give and take between the two halves of his personality that sets up Batman 2 and Batman 3 to be really, really interesting. Yeah. And one more thing about Pattinson's Bruce Wayne that I I want to touch on. And B, I I know that you have some thoughts here. You had at least expressed some thoughts. Is his relationship with Alfred. Do you have any sort of more in-depth points here or? Yeah, I just really liked that you could tell there was some anger. There was some mistrust. There was a fractured relationship to them rather than the deeply paternal figure of the Burton era movies, the um, still paternal, but absolutely buddy, buddy, quippy uh, 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 dynamic between Michael Caine and Christian Bale. Here, clearly they both think the other has failed them in some way. Mm. 
And there is healing to be done. Yes, they work together to solve crimes. And yes, they are kind of intellectual equals who, who, are, who have that in common. But when we see Alfred laid up in the hospital, Bruce comes to the realization that, oh yeah, being Batman means putting the ones I care about in jeopardy. And there's a healing moment because, you know, Andy Serkis is, his Alfred basically apologizes. I wasn't a good enough father figure for you because I, I wasn't equipped to do that. And I know that some of your resentment and anger now isn't just about your parents. It's what you were left with. And that was me. And I actually think they can move forward and build their relationship interestingly, because you'll notice that in every other iteration, besides maybe the Dark Knight Rises, nothing changes about that. There's no really status. There's always a status quo between uh, Alfred and Bruce. Here, there's work to be done. There's, there's building blocks to, to be put in to secure a more strong foundation between the two. So I think as an emotional core, that's really cool moving forward as well. Cade, thoughts on Bruce? Uh, I thought it was a very smart take on him, and Pattinson does it very, very well. I, I remember talking about the, the clip in the funeral uh, where he doesn't say a word pretty much the whole scene. He's just surveying everything. He's not there as Bruce Wayne. He's there as Batman. He just can't show up in a bat costume to a funeral. <laughs> and right, so right. he's point. he's there analyzing he's seeing these guys that are acting really suspicious and is keeping his eye on them and then he his eyes dart to that kid that we keep coming back to throughout this movie and he sees him and he's just like god you know he he knows what this kid's going through and and it kind of keeps reminding him as a motivator to keep going on this very dark journey and um i i think he does it very well and we even I think I can't remember where it's at in the movie, but I, I think it's when Alfred gets blown up. And I thought he was dead, by the way, for a second. Yeah. I thought they were going for it. And I'm uh, I was very surprised that they didn't uh, just because they they let it play for longer. I think, than you I think Bruce Wayne was dark enough. Last yeah. thing they had to do yeah. was fucking blow <laughs> Alfred's face off. Left. Yeah, <laughs> would have been pretty fucked up. But uh, when he's when he's in his house talking to like the police or whatever, and they're like, well, here's what happened. Uh you can see this look on his face that he's like back to being that scared little kid. He's like kind of almost shaking. And he's just like, I was so scared. And I think he even says it in the hospital when he's talking to Alfred. It's like, I thought I had conquered all of this, but I realized I I didn't. And uh, that's healthy for him to realize that. Exactly. And and that, that was probably, I cried during that scene between him and Alfred and they're not, you know, the acting in this movie is not very flashy outside of maybe the Riddler. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's, doing a very not reserved but subtle performance which i really appreciate it's you know it's easy to go big in a superhero movie especially a batman movie but everyone is is doing where's rachel exactly (laughs) yeah yeah um and those scenes call for that right but like this this is a a batman who is or a bruce wayne who is holding a lot in internally and doesn't want to display his fear. But if you know, Batman as an audience member, you can see it through his eyes and just subtle body moves, like little shakes and stuff. It's, it's, it's very, very sensitive. And I, I really appreciate it again, just that portrayal of showing this, this guy that we grow to see as this really big badass throughout this movie. And then you go to that scene he's just like, so scared. And it's, it's really, really smart. I really appreciated it. Do we think that kid becomes a future Robin or something or something interconnected with Batman's story? Because 
you know, they, they definitely came across each other's paths quite a few times. Yeah, but they would need quite a bit of time to pass. I mean, that kid was only... <laughs> You know, who says the Batman's not in like the Batman two is not like seven years from now or something? (laughs) No, they they could do that. They could absolutely do that. I I just want to really quickly point out the the genius of the construction of that Alfred attack scene where you get the classic Batman racing to get somewhere, literally pedal to the metal, screaming to himself, trying to get in touch with them. You're watching it unfold from Alfred's point of view as well. And then they sort of pull a bait and switch with you thinking that he's gotten to her in time, gotten to him in time, but it's actually the housemaid being like, Oh dude, you're literally too late. It really it happened happens. already. Yeah. yeah. So I just think that that was just a brilliant scene construction. And what is, you know, in action movies, a relatively common, like a race against the clock or someone's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen that? But they found a clever way to do that. All right. Moving on to one of the two, performances that i thought were the standouts and that is zoe kravitz's selena kyle i i love this character i love the performance i would love to see her get her own show i think i think even her own film could work i thought that the performance was that good i joked to brandon and my friend when when we were we had some beers before the showing and they were just they asked about what I liked, what I didn't like, and I described that the connection between Bruce Wayne's Batman and Kravitz's Catwoman, I was horny for them. <laughs> like I like I like I wasn't even horny. I was horny for them. I wanted them to just fucking get it over with. And I know that that sounds like a joke, but when you're able to construct general sexual tension yeah. and chemistry with two latex wearing mass borderline deranged people you're able to make the sort of dynamic between them and the electricity so palpable that's not easy and they were able to accomplish that from jump street but more so of the physical sexual dynamic between them i think that what makes catwoman such an important character right and bruce wayne even alludes to this in this film he says to alfred at some point if i can't make change i don't care what happens to me? Mm-hmm. Catwoman is the counterbalance to that. There are a few people in this war in Bru- in Bruce Wayne's world who gives him cause to pause and mm-hmm. who makes him consider the consequences of his actions beyond himself and Gotham. And Selena Kyle is one of them to the extent that in this film specifically, she keeps Bruce and Batman anchored. I don't know how far off the rails this version of the character would go if he didn't have Alfred and Gordon and particularly because it's romantic Catwoman tying him down. So from a physical standpoint, in terms of the way that their chemistry plays to the way that she fights, to the way that she rides bikes, to the way that she robs people, I thought was perfect. But even more so, I thought the emotional and dramatic balance that she brings to Batman and Bruce is really the key to making this entire film work. Because without her and the way that he interacts with her, if you thought Bruce Wayne was a monster, you wouldn't be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was uh, really appreciative of how she kind of cuts into him, uh, especially kind of towards the end when she has that cop up on the, the building and he's like, no, don't do this. And she's explained to him kind of everything. And 
goes like you're just a rich guy probably you know you're, you grew up rich and he's he kind of just like takes he's like yeah yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> you get it uh when, she, she's able to when see you're right you're right yeah she she kind of even though she doesn't know who batman is she can kind of just pick them apart and be like you don't fucking get it even though you're out here being this hero you don't get it as much as you think you do and you're kind of not not phony but close to it and uh maybe there's more to it than you know you're saving the world you're out here probably doing something for yourself and i was like god this this relationship is really very tightly woven and i really appreciated it um and and i was also surprised you know she's the daughter of Falcone. And I was like, wow, I, I actually really didn't see that coming. Um, and how that, you know, explains some of her history and, and her hatred for this, this crime organization and all this stuff. It's a very uh, well fleshed out character. Again, uh, you know, the A plot takes um, kind of a backseat for a little bit for the B plot to kind of take front and center stage. And that's kind of what I was talking about her going after Falcone, them going to the Iceberg Lounge and doing all this stuff. And uh, it all ties back into the Riddler in the end. But uh, I feel like if you didn't have a three-hour runtime, a lot of that probably would have gotten sacrificed. And I'm, I'm glad that Warner Brothers kind of saw the bigger picture there and was, was willing to let Reeves kind of expand her character and, and give her the depth she deserves. Because otherwise, I don't know how much people would have resonated without kind of the stuff that comes in the second half of the movie. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they, they cast a wide net of supporting characters. And that's very, very difficult, particularly for superhero world building. But I feel like the Batman establishes each of their motivations clearly. They give them some personal ticks and flaws and strengths. And all the while, the plot keeps chugging along around these characters being very seamlessly introduced and integrated. And I felt that way about Selena Kyle and, and Zoe, Kravitz, Zoe Kravitz absolutely owned the role. Yeah. How do you see this character being used going forward? Because the film does end with her leaving. She references that she could be going up to Bloodhaven, which is, of course, the city that Nightwing does his crime fighting in now, given that there's no Robin yet, there's no Nightwing. But I don't think that that was a mistake either. So how do you see them using her going forward? Do you think she's primed to be spun off? I mean, it's guaranteed that she's in the Batman 2. Where does she go from here? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think they'll probably keep an eye on the reception to her character. And if there's enough, I think that's why they laid the groundwork for maybe a spinoff. Like her uh, literally going off on, on her own to do I could her see, own thing. Yeah. yeah. Some sort of mini series or something. And granted, like, I, I don't even know what the Batman two looks like. Cause the whole fucking city's flooded. Like yeah. it's, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I don't know where you go. You, you gotta spend some time rebuilding this. So, her the first act is just them with buckets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out water. I mean, we all got out of our screening yesterday and we were like, so we all agree that the first movie ended with a Batman L. Like the Riddler won. Like thousands yeah, of people yeah. are dead. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even though he, you know, more or less becomes triumphant, like Riddler still executed his whole plan. Yep. Um, so it's, yeah, you're totally correct. Uh, it's interesting to think about what a sequel even looks like. Will she come back? It seems likely. I can't imagine her not. Um, I think but, she uh, has to do some burglary and like, you know, she has to be a petty thief yeah. to fulfill that kind of baseline character. And he has to cross paths with her in, in that way. He's not going to stop her because he ultimately doesn't care about a few jewels, but right. we got to see her pilfer some cool artifacts. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious where they take her and what lies in store for a character who has been through all of that, what she just went through in this movie with her father, Batman, the city she's 
in being flooded, losing her best friend, all this stuff and going and taking that to a new place where she has a new beginning and seeing how she applies that. Does she do some good? Who knows? We'll see. But I, I'm curious to see where her character goes from here. All right, moving on to the film's primary villain, and that is Paul Dano's Riddler. This is a unhinged modern day spin on the Zodiac Killer, but also sort of like the um, like I got sort of a QAnon vibe to it as well, like sort of the people who would yeah. who would be yeah. looped into that. I feel like would be huge Riddler guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they definitely <laughs> wanted to go after like the incel terrorist radicalized online. Right, exactly. So. I want to ask really kind of three things. What did you think of the performance? What did you think of his plan? And was he right? So let's start with the performance. I mean, look, the unfortunate truth is that when you're playing a villain in a Batman film from here for the rest of time, you are going to be compared to the arguably the greatest standard of villain acting of the last 30, 40 years. And that is Heath Ledger's Joker and Batman. And I do think that Dano's Riddler sort of overlaps and intersects with that version of Joker mm-hmm. a bit. And given that the way that they're trying to tear the city down from the inside and are very uh, consumed by the structure and how the structure are chains and they want to release those chains and create chaos in order to sort of level the playing ground of Gotham. But I do think that there were moments where it was a bit over the top, a bit showy. Cade, you said that a lot of the, acting is subtle i don't think dano knows how to be so no, yeah. to be honest yeah, yeah, with yeah. you uh but so what did you guys think of his performance as a whole kid i was really uh taken back by it when like the mask is off and they're in the the, the cell in arkham and uh he's he's doing this weird thing where he, he doesn't even on the phone calls too where He'll be talking, and when he's getting agitated, he'll he'll start to scream. He'll go ah, and then he'll like transition into his next word. He'll go I am frustrated, yeah. you know, something like that. And it's yeah. like, whoa, very <laughs> that's weird. a crazy tick. But like, I a very nice nuance that I like. You know, that that gives some flavor to the character. You know, mm-hmm. in a way that like I don't know, the Joker would have done like the the part where he lips his licks, <laughs> lips his licks, <laughs> licks his lips. Um, I, you know, stuff like that. Just little touches. Um, and it shows. You know, if we want to talk about people who may be on the spectrum, he's probably okay. closer to it than than Batman. And it's very interesting to see just kind of how he crumbles when Batman kind of starts to tell him, I'm not your friend. Like, we're not going to be buddies. And he just starts to have this meltdown. Uh, well, because he, that delusion of his, he genuinely believed. Yeah, for real. And I was kind of surprised by that. Um, and quick question, did, did they explain how he knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. I can he see doesn't. He... he doesn't. Okay. He doesn't. Wait, which tra- was so stupid. The trailers led us to believe that that was the case, but in the yeah. movie, they sort of zag. Yeah. It, it seemed to me that. Uh, Go ahead, wait, Brandon. Th- does no, he not just know? like that part was so was was so ridiculous to me, particularly the cops not knowing too. Like they're all investigating the Riddler's apartment. And there's pictures of Bruce Wayne on the wall next to like, I'm going to find you, Batman. And like all the cops are like, oh, I wonder who this mass vigilante has been this whole time. (laughs) Like, yeah, he's right there. And like I said before, he's out. He's not in the shadows. There are multiple pictures of him. Internet sleuths can find completely like random anonymous people. You're telling me they couldn't do like a jaw. Yeah, I was going to say the jaw. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) listen, and that is suspension of disbelief. I know I'm nitpicking. It's just like, 
That was a little obvious. No, yeah, it's, it's fair. I, I figured Riddler figured it out just because he likes puzzles and stuff. Like he would just take it upon himself. Like I got to figure out who this guy is right, and eventually right. crack it. But um, yeah, he, he is uh, terrifying. You know, it, he's not quite Heath Ledger. Nobody is. I don't think anyone ever will be. But uh, he gives a convincing performance that like if Batman wasn't separated by some unbreakable glass, that guy would have gotten, you know, uh, prisoners when he get when he gets fucked up by Hugh Jackman. That's right. what he would have looked like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Catsby, Riddler. I, I liked that he was the inverse of Batman. You know, inspired by Batman to rise above systemic power structures that were completely and utterly corrupt and compromised to exact his own truth, which is exactly what Batman's doing. The exact same thing taken two different extremes on various sides of the spectrum. So I, I thought that in terms of a characteriz- characterization and a dynamic between him and Batman was done well. I think uh, Dano's very good. Again, I still think some of the deep commitment to the noir elements can occasionally render things unintentionally uh, ridiculous in fleeting moments. But ultimately, he's very brilliant. He's very terrifying, very ruthless. And Paul Dano is just a really talented character actor who was cast well in this role. And thank God it didn't go to Jonah Hill, as once rumored. Oh yeah, that would have been a very interesting uh, direction. Yeah. I was actually <laughs> thinking about that uh, when I watched last night, like where he's just like standing behind the mayor, quietly breathing. I was like thinking to myself, they would have to change the dynamics of this shot to fit Jonah Hill behind that <laughs> silhouette. Um, what did we think about his, I guess because his plan is also hand in hand with the unveiling of the plot. Like they're sort of one in the same. Mm. Were you, in, did was his plan believable? Were you invested in it? How did you feel about the actual unfurling of Riddler's revenge? I mean, no comic book villain plan is, is believable at all. Like it, these days, you just get doxxed and all your private things get put on the internet, and that's the end of it. You know, mm-hmm. like that's how it happens. But I thought him picking off members of influence and prominence, particularly public figures, one by one by the exposure of their corruption and misdeeds and crimes, and then killing them. Yeah, pr- pretty darn good psycho shit right there. You know, that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I it, uh, to your point, like it's as believable as a comic book villain could be who's going to blow up basically the city and flood it. Right. Um, but the, the the stuff that resonated with me is, you know, the the gathering followers. You know, I, I like to imagine some guy being like, I like Riddle's brother. Let's do this. You know, picking up his <laughs> rifle and and going out there and saving the day. <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. Yeah. He's um, like, All right. Is he right? You know, other than the grisly nature in which he committed these murders, I, I'm having a hard time disagreeing. Yeah, I think there are better ways to expose uh, <laughs> bad behavior among, uh, you know, city council leaders and whatnot. Like he, he's right to try to drain the swamp, to use a, a ridiculous political term. But, uh, you know, murder, eh, that's not that's, that's not the that's most that, convincing platform. That's a hard pass for you. Yeah. He didn't really drain the swamp either. He created a swamp more than anything, you know, by flooding <laughs> Quite the city. Literally. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I mean, like, he's clearly doing it because he's just deranged because, like, he has, like, photographs of blackmail and stuff, right? Like, he has all of that. He gives it to people after he's killed his victim. So, like, he right, has... He could have, right, exactly. This, but he's right. just like, I like killing people. Yeah, so, yeah, fuck true. you. <laughs> true, true, true. So, just to confirm, 
Riddler, not right. Not right. Probably not right. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on to the other villain in this film. That is Colin Farrell's Penguin. I thought that this was a masterclass of how to inject an extra villain in your film, whether it because they are trying to backdoor pilot his show or not. You know, you can make the case that that is what they were trying to do. I don't necessarily think so. I think his inclusion was legitimate, but sort of the inverse Spider-Man 3, where they found a sort of peripheral way to work Penguin into the plot, give Batman something else to do, be the catalyst for that awesome chase scene, but not having his inclusion distract from or weigh down the plot. And, I mean, it's been said since we got our first look, the makeup and the performance is out of this fucking world. When you look at how handsome of a guy Colin <laughs> Farrell is and then compare him to Penguin, if you were to show somebody who didn't know, they would be like, those are two different people. There is no yeah, way that that's the same fucking guy. 100%. My dad had no idea. Yeah, he was like, who played Penguin? I was like, it's this guy. He's like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's only one shot where I could like tell, oh, yeah, that's Colin Farrell. It's like towards the end where he's outside of uh, the Iceberg Lounge. Like there's a bigger wide shot and there's more light on him that you can kind of tell maybe that that's him. But I mean, a three-hour movie, does that really matter? I mean, it's it's a hell of a commitment to that role. Uh, and I, I again, I like the way he he's worked into the movie because uh, it makes Batman's world feel realized like there are other people in this world it's not just going to be like every movie oh this new guy that you know from the comics is now here and like we didn't know about him before introducing Um, exactly Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's nice that they're they're planting the seeds for characters like penguin possibly hush um and the joker and all these characters are already here and we'll get to see them expanded upon because then it also helps create a more uh realized story later on because you don't have to set up the groundwork or the foundation Mm. you've already done that um in a more organic way and you know it feels like the arkham games where there's just a bunch of villains all over the place and they feel organically placed and you're you you believe that batman is outnumbered by some fucking psychopaths (laughs) (laughs) and that's a scary thought Uh, it is yeah to me i mean penguin very simply very simple Great injection of energy and levity in what can otherwise be a very dour and relentlessly grim tale, which that's not necessarily a bad thing, but he was a great counterweight. I, mm-hmm. I, I loved every time he was on, on camera. Did yeah. this make you guys excited for his show? Are you more on board now? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I was more on board when uh, Terrence Winter was writing it and then he left. Or he might have been done doing the, the GC Gotham show. One. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. But like, Which... yeah, obviously I'm still going to watch it. And frankly, yeah. like I went into Peacemaker being like, I don't care about the character. Mm. Would have much rather had a lot of other Suicide Squad spinoffs than Peacemaker. And then I left Peacemaker being like, wow, that was pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I feel like we haven't heard anything about these shows at all. I get that. I guess I get that Reeves has been hard at work on this film, but you would right. think that we would have heard something by now. So the Penguin show seems to be more of a guarantee than the Gotham show. Because right. Yeah. The Gotham show was announced, I think, before maybe even they started filming Batman or like right as they started filming it. And then we haven't heard a peep besides Terrence leaving the uh, the show. And now the Penguin show, I think, was announced a little bit more recently and seems to be like now with the hype of this movie, you probably want to capitalize on that right. pretty quick. Right, right. All right, just a few more here. We're going to touch on Jeffrey Wright's James Gordon, who 
along with uh, Selena Kyle, I thought was the standout of this film. Mm-hmm. Brandon, you said to me last night, does Jeffrey Wright ever mess? And I think the answer is no. I think right. that he adds a critical balance to this film of not only being sort of a, not quite a father figure to Batman, but like sort of a... Uh, um brother in arms a little bit uh, brother in arms but like what is what if you're an apprentice what who like who are you apprenticing for you know what i mean a master a man like not not quite a master but he just sort of he seemed to have the know-how and the understanding of the city and how to get things done that batman doesn't quite yet have and he also was like vaguely a comic relief character as well like when they had that thumb drive he absolutely nailed the line where he's like, oh, this guy's hilarious. Like, that is a great line reading in a fucking very dire, serious, disgusting moment. And yet Jeffrey Ray was able to imbue fleeting sense of levity. So what did you guys think of Gordon? I think more so than being excited for Penguin show after seeing Penguin, seeing this version of Gordon, I am so stoked on if and when that show comes out because I think that more so than any other Gordon that I've seen so far is that, you know, we forget that James Gordon in The Dark Knight faked his death, lied to his wife, did some pretty, I I, I don't want to say unsavory things, but he just didn't feel as sort of a wholly decent force of good that this one does. And that is something that I really like that more so than Batman, Gordon is sort of a symbol of hope in this world that even with the growing tide of corrupt cops and politicians and lawyers, he's still fighting that good fight and he doesn't have a mask or a suit or a cape and he's still doing it. Yeah. It it was super satisfying to see all those cops unify with him outside the the lounge. I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. this, This is rad. Um, he, he's a really effective Gordon. Um, you know, I, it's it's hard to compare him to Gary Oldman, who had like a more of an arc and, and going more going on. Uh, it feels more like a Wright's version is kind of just tagging along. And he's still an effective detective and cop and stuff, but he's not really given a lot to do beyond that, if that makes any sense at all. And uh, but I really like him. He, he's a Jeffrey Wright is an effective yeller i don't know if you guys feel this way when he yells i'm like yeah let him know jeffrey and uh (laughs) whisperer too every time he lowers the decibel you know volume i'm just like "Ooh, what's he talking about good voice he's got a good voice he 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 knows how to use it uh so yeah i i I think he's a very uh, great jim gordon and their banter back and forth and the way they bounce off each other to solve their crimes is really good too because i also feel like gordon in the the nolan films was a little bit dumb like he wasn't like i don't know he was uh batman was always telling him what's happening and then he's like okay and then he turned around batman's gone so he's just kind of there to relay (laughs) back to the cops i guess but it feels like they work in tandem together here i don't know it felt like batman was doing a lot of the mental heavy lifting in this movie yeah sure i I would say more than not but comparing to oldman i would say he's a little more uh intelligent (laughs) yeah i mean like you guys said i loved the interplay between them i thought it was great i thought it was comedic yet genuine which is an important balance to strike i will say however i did think it was funny and and i know gotham city is a very corrupt place but uh you know at at one point he turns to batman during the movie goes you're the only one i trust i'm like really like there's not a (laughs) single cop that you came up with 
that you think is an okay dude or a mentor there that or your you wife could go to like, <laughs> just like yeah, there, there was he got his face chewed off by rat the commissioner yeah, but but he was corrupt i'm, I'm saying yeah. there, there wasn't a single person that jim gordon respected or admired in his professional vicinity like it's only you batman i don't know who you are you're a psychopath that i've known for two years but you're my guy the cop with it the was mustache. just a little funny and again we I- ride together we die we, yeah. we die together yeah. bad boys for life you still the, got uh, that podcast to touch me the the cop with the mustache seemed to be the the one that maybe he would stick with because i think when they're they're analyzing that like rat cage or whatever uh the, that cop was upstairs like watching out because he comes down he's like they're coming or something yeah. and then they they leave but uh so that seems to be and he works with batman at the end in riddler's apartment so i'd say maybe he's the only good like deputy or whatever but yeah it definitely I, seems i don't. I know. love how they always have to fit in like a, a callow rookie cop overstepping <laughs> his boundaries with batman and batman shutting him down with just a stern look <laughs> every movie has a version of Amazing. that it's so that, good yeah though. absolutely no more dead cops fuck that guy <laughs> <laughs> um all right john taturo's carmine falcone who john taturo is having himself a hell of a month because when you look at his performance in apple tv plus his severance and then look at his performance in this movie you're like wow, actors can really fucking act, huh? Like he's like when you're able to sort of see somebody displaying range in real time, it just makes what they're doing so impressive. And I thought it was more so than handing the rain because the third act is very much his. Like he sort of takes the position of the main villain for about, I'd say 20% of this movie, 30% of this movie. And I think more so than... Obviously, he's a very capable actor. He's been doing it for 30 years at this point. I think that the decision to hand the drama to Carmine Falcone as a character and sort of the Gotham mob was a very wise choice because it gives Batman a physical embodiment of Gotham's corruption to contend with. You know, like corruption is an idea, but Carmine Falcone was the sort of the head of the snake in that sense. So it gave Batman something to chop off. I thought it was just a very, in the same way that Penguin was weaved in seamlessly, so was Carmine. Each of the villains got their own deserved time to to shine. And it's Falcone who sort of uh, takes the baton and carries it through the end. I mean, you you could argue that that the story ends when he gets killed, right? And that everything from there is sort of a, classic third act uh set piece be not quite a blue hole in the sky set piece but a classic <laughs> superhero set piece right. nonetheless so what'd you guys think of carmine I-, I liked carmine i i really don't have much to say i thought he was effective in what he was supposed to do and he served his role as a catalyst for catwoman and a uh a catalyst for batman in the sense that he had ties to both the past the present and the future of these characters so i thought that was just well done and you know they didn't overplay Carmine. Mm. Good. Yeah, I agree. I liked his interaction with Bruce at the funeral mm-hmm. uh, when when he is explaining to him his connection to his father and how that obviously comes back later. Um, I was not expecting that level of depth because previously in movies, he's always just been the guy that Batman goes after and fucks he's him always up just a total it. goomba. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I was like, oh, I don't like him, but I 
I don't hate him completely. Uh, and I, I was like, this is an interesting character and now he's dead. So we'll never see him again, probably. But um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was great to have a, a mobster with some depth in this kind of a movie. Um, and I, I appreciated his whole, uh, everything kind of revolves around him by the end. Yep. Catwoman, Riddler, Batman, all comes together. The, the corruption. Gordon, yeah. Yeah, the whole it's all thing. tied to him. And uh, see that all kind of unravel around him was was really interesting. And um, Batman convincing Selina not to kill him was also very uh, effective, I think. I think you make a great point about his scenes with Bruce specifically. I thought they were very strong. And I love that trope of like people on two different sides of the spectrum but there's like a respect between them now while i don't think bruce respected carmine it was like the even though we are opposing sides there's like a handshake deal like mm-hmm. i understand you you understand me let's not bullshit each other type vibe that i thought really really worked all mm-hmm. right final character here that we've got to break down and that is barry keegan's joker now this scene where he introduced is the most word i'm looking for here not quite out of place but you could tell that this may not have been in the original script it, it, it's video it, mandated it didn't <laughs> Maybe, feel yes. as seamlessly worked into it very much felt like a detour right, right like that yeah. like that the whole movie, right? We have been giving a praise for the way you're sort of, you're going step by step with it. You're in for the ride and it's all very seamless and flowing from point A to B to C to D. This was a very obvious detour, a very sort of break in the chain. I guess we should start with, did the movie need this scene? No, no, it doesn't need it. it it's an illusion it. to future sequels. That's all. It yeah, is. yeah. Um, Did you want it? Do you? Would you have been disappointed if there wasn't a direct sort of tease as what's to come? Only because it's leaked in like August, and I probably would have been like, "Well, I want to see what that was now." So <laughs> that's probably the only disappointment I would have had. Is just like, "Oh, I heard about this thing, and now it's not here." And I'm curious, but. Um, no, because I even now I, I still don't really know what this means for the sequels. Like it's kind of vague and intentionally so, especially because now they're talking about Court of Owls, Mr. Freeze, and other stuff as potential characters for sequels. So I I I have trouble imagining with the Joker how he fits into all of that. And um it does it feels less fluid as the Batman Begins teaser where yes, he has the car. Best teaser in yeah. like, hey, this is the sequel. That's the best one they've done in, in the genre ever. Exactly. And, and this feels more kind of tacked on and, and probably could have been a post-credit scene. I don't know if Matt Reeves just doesn't like post-credit scenes or something, but uh, it could have been put to the side because it doesn't really feel like it's part of the movie. It feels it, like it has this kind of pulpiness to it where it does feel like uh, like... Uh, the amazing Spider-Man post-credit scene where that guy comes to visit the lizard and we still don't know who the fuck that guy even was, but that's the point. Um, so it, it feels out of place, but I, I don't hate it. And I, I'm not mad. We got it. It's just kind of weird. I'm curious <laughs> how I would have felt about it. Had I not seen it coming. I agree. Good point. That. Yes. I, I like Barry Keegan a lot. I bet he really impresses in the role. But I recently tweeted, and I stand by it, I think live-action Joker has become so overexposed because now we have iconic performance in The Dark Knight. We have another absolutely amazing Oscar-winning performance 
in uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. We had some, you know, very odd but but unique takes on Joker in Gotham. We're now uh, I was going to say, don't you dare speak his name on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I think Gotham's a terrible show. No, but I thought you were gonna it. bring up Leto. I oh no, too. yeah, I got we've, palpable we've, tension inside of me. We, we've <laughs> had Jared Leto and Suicide Squad, and now we're getting a Joker in Batwoman, the the TV show, and now we're getting another Joker in a future installment of the Batman series. So again, I know in terms of like IP, you want to mine the biggest names. But I feel he risks losing his status as one of the ultimate ultimate cinematic villains of all time with a threatening, ter- terrifying, yet slightly enticing allure mm-hmm. when we see him so often in so many different iterations. And yes, different iterations of the characters allows for different interpretations and different takes on the character, which differentiate them from one to another but I don't need to see like the sixth version in, in the last decade, you know? So I, I would have been fine if that never popped up in, in this trilogy, but I also know it's hard to do a Batman trilogy without Joker, but that's, that's my take. I, I didn't need it. Barry Keegan will still probably do a good job with it. Brandon, to your point about overposure, I think it was Alan Parrish in the original Jumanji who said a little rain never hurt anybody, but a lot of it can kill you. Yeah. And I think that, I think yeah. that that is sort of the vibe. I have said this to both of you during the course of this podcast. I did not want Joker to appear in this franchise. Batman, more than anybody, has got options, right? We've yeah. talked about it on the show. Court of Owls, Hush are both two near the top of my list. But the unfortunate reality is, especially when it's a tentpole franchise like they want this to be, especially considering Brandon, where you said a WB exec has identified Batman as the most important piece of IP that they have. I've long argued that the Joker is just as responsible for Batman, particularly in the last 15 to 20 years or so. The Joker is just as responsible for Batman's success as Batman is. He is the yin to his yang. And it was sort of inevitable that he was going to pop up in these films in some way, shape, or form. That said, even though I had accepted that reality, I didn't need them to tease it here. I don't understand why... They had to let you know that Joker's out there. Like, isn't that assumed of Gotham City? You know, like he could have easily just showed up in the second movie or in one of these spinoff shows, you know, in the Arkham show that they're saying that they're going to do. That would have been a sweet place to do it because not Mm -hmm. not only would that have driven up hype for that show in and of itself, but it would have alleviated the pressures of this movie of having to having to franchise it by itself, you know? Yeah. And But that said, despite how we may feel about it in the macro, let's zoom in a bit. What did you think about the scene itself? Fine. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... It's, it's weird because, like, it's so general and vague and cryptic. They're trying not to, like, concrete anything, you know? They're not trying to back themselves into a corner where they're promising a specific story beyond that Joker will appear. Uh... I I think I I have a lot of trouble imagining him with the makeup on and stuff. You kind of see a little bit of it, like just barely. He's kind of uh, in uh-huh. the shadows, but you can kind of see a little bit of his look. It's an interesting idea. Uh, I like his voice. He's very got a very good Joker voice. Uh, not sure about the laugh. It's kind of just a generic laugh. I felt, uh, but the. Um, the promise of it is is interesting because it suggests to me that because he's already in Arkham, Batman has already encountered him and dealt with him. And I'm curious what that means for the future, if they're going to do that. Um, 
honestly, I, I get that Joker has to be part of it, but I would much rather if they're going to do something, um, and this is not going to happen, that he is someone that Batman goes to in Arkham and talks to him, and he's not really... Animal Lecter style? Yeah, yeah. He's not really an antagonist in the traditional sense. He's just kind of there. We've dealt with him. That happened off screen or whatever. Maybe you have a flashback to it, but I don't want to see him as the main antagonist. Um, but if he's pairing up with Riddler, that's also really interesting because if they're doing a trilogy, does that mean Batman two or three will just be Riddler again with the Joker at his side? It's it's very interesting. I, I don't know where they're going with this. Well, the post credit scene, I don't think you could call it that, but the post credit <laughs> message seems to imply that Riddler will I yeah. mean, that, that seems yeah. to be implication. I think one of the things to point out about this version is it seems to more so than Heath Ledger's and more so than Joaquin Phoenix's, it seems to be taking inspiration from newer versions of Joker, like the new 52 version, who mm. sort of like cut off and repurposed his own face onto himself. Right. Sort of a very, then in the same way that this Batman is as disturbed as we've ever seen him. I think that this Joker, whereas like Heath Ledger was an anarchist and um, uh, what the hell's his name? Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson was sort of a clown and Joaquin Phoenix was sort of like a sociopath. I think that this version of Joker is going to be a truly deranged drinking his own blood type shit psychopath i mean that is really where i think that they're gonna head with this one that he is the ultimate like there are one of the most chilling explanations of joker that i've seen is that he's like an almost mystical everlasting evil presence like he's always existed and he's always been out there and that is sort of what i think they're going for here finally when it comes to joker what do you think about the casting choice eric keegan's great i support it yeah, Barry Keegan I, is everything I've seen him in prior to Eternals, even including Dunkirk. He's just a fucking weirdo. But then in, <laughs> but then in Eternals, he was able to t- turn on the charisma, which is, believe it or not, a key factor in Joker. So while I am not totally on board with the concept of Joker being involved in, in these films, I love this casting choice. Yeah, I, I uh, again, I like him as an actor. I just, it's hard for me to picture his face with the makeup on. I think it's always a challenge. Like even with Joaquin Phoenix, Heath Ledger, I, I can never picture it. But these people did a really good job casting this movie. Just besides him, you know, Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, everyone who's in this movie is very well cast. Right, great point. They pay those people a lot of money to figure out who's going to play these roles. So I trust the process here and we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Jared Leto is the only bad joker in my opinion. So I am going to say that they will continue their streak of having pretty good picks. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other villains that you would like to see in the Batman two that weren't directly teased? I have been vocal about this quite a bit. I think Hush would be a great fit. I think he's a perfect inverse of Batman. I think Court of Alice would be a great fit because not only does it give Batman the macro systematic challenge of corruption that is spread throughout the city throughout decades, if not centuries, but the micro physical challenge of Talon, who is sort of like the Court of Owls, um, like lead assassin type thing, who is also aesthetically similar to Batman. So I think there's a lot of good balance there. I've also said, you know, and Matt Reeves was asked about this, and it's odd that this character is having like a renaissance, 
But Freeze, I think, would be very cool. And I think the reason that people bring up Freeze is because they just want to see a Heart of Ice story, which is one of the best Batman villain stories ever told. So are there any villains that you, you know, there's been talk that Bane is going to pop back up at some point. So are there any Batman villains that you want to see in this franchise that haven't been teased yet? Court of Owls, for sure. Mm -hmm. No, they're a recent comic introduction. Talon's a badass. Deathstroke's a badass. I know that's not the same, but that's another one. You know, a, a nice physical match for, for Batman would be cool. And, and as we mentioned, Court of Owls is very uh, akin to what the Riddler brought down, which was a connected, corrupt power structure. And the Court of Owls are basically, you know, a Gotham Illuminati pulling the strings behind like the wealthy moves of the city for years and years and years. So I, I think that's cool. It seems to me that Harvey Dent will appear at some point because the DA just died in this movie. So <laughs> very good point. Like he will show up in some capacity. Um, I, I'm sure they're going to avoid doing people that were in the Nolan movies with the exception of Joker. It seems like you probably won't see Scarecrow again or, or uh, Bane maybe. I don't know. Um, I would like to see Calendar Man. But maybe because like the detective aspect of it all, right. I, I wonder if they want to continue doing detective movies. And that would be an interesting one. And Hush is also one for that. And Court of Owls. There's a lot of good characters they can they can build upon for that. And Mr. Freeze would be awesome as well. I mean, there's there's really no bad choices. Um <laughs> it's i mean condiment man you know that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that so. reminds me man i gotta rewatch harley quinn <laughs> um all right so to wrap up here not really related to this film in general but sort of dc as a whole there are three remaining dc projects set to come out this year black adam the flash and aquaman 2 which of those are you guys most hyped for for me it's the flash for obvious reasons <laughs> yeah i'd probably say the flash just because it's the most ambitious of them all but i am a sucker for aquaman the the first movie so i'm i'm actually really curious to see the sequel Good for you speak your truth kid <laughs> thank yeah. you <laughs> I mean, the flash obviously has the most significant potential consequences for the dceu as well as the most interesting pairing of kind of legacy and known characters but uh you know, I'm a little bit un, uh, not sold on the first solo Flash movie being a soft reboot that also features two Batman. I, I think it might be a little bit too much. It's so I, I hope huh? it's good. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm personally going with Black Adam. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's guaranteed half a billion dollars right there. All right. That should do it for us. I mean, we're an hour and a half in. We've covered all the main characters. We've covered the location, the setting, the plot. Overall, fellas, did this movie live up to the hype that you had for it? I want to see it again. There were some elements I didn't like, and then some I loved. Uh, and like I said, a top 8.7 out of 10. So, like, pretty damn good overall. Yeah. I want to see it again to finalize it. But, like, yeah, you know, more or less lived up to my hype, for sure. Cade? No. <laughs> <Shug me. laughs> um, um, no, this was a, a fantastic movie and and you know i had high expectations for it but there were things that nothing i can really pinpoint but just a general feeling of concern just because i don't know it's easy to feel like you've been let down before and it's it's always hard to top what's come before that that is good you know like the nolan movies so um i i am 
super pleased and i i i am trying to find a showing right now to go see it again tonight so uh, <laughs> i like that yeah so I'm, I'm hoping to to check it out if not tonight maybe this weekend uh because i i really think this movie is, is super special and uh god congrats to matt reeves for just getting to go off and just yeah, fucking yeah, make absolutely. the movie one absolutely make. yo snyder fans out there are clenching their fists right now They're like <laughs> why did they let this motherfucker do his thing <laughs> oh man Brandon, since this is sort of your zone, do you know, does HBO Max still have the 45-day window? Is that how they're... Yeah, the Batman will be on HBO Max in 45 days. Lit. All right. On that <laughs> note, folks, I think it goes without saying, I absolutely adored this movie. Despite the Fight Club effect on Second Watch, there are still tons of sort of ideas and themes to sink your teeth into. For sure. It was a pleasure chatting about this film with my two good friends here. I have been looking forward to this podcast for some time, and I just want to say finally, I believe in Gotham City. We will talk <laughs> to you all next week, where we are having an interview with the director of The Adam Project, Sean Levy. That guy was let me tell you something. That guy was turned up to fucking 11, man. <laughs> that, that, dude, that dude was a firecracker, but he was a great time. I tried to get him to speak on Deadpool. He basically dunked on my face. So look out, <laughs> look out for that next week. Brandon, thank you for joining us again. We miss you, pal. You could find Brandon, who is now over at Morning Brew, at great underscore Catsby. You could find Cade, who's swinging over to comicbook.com at Cade underscore Onder. You can find me, who is still at ProBible.com, at Eric Italiano. And of course, follow the podcast now at PostgredPod. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace. I'm going to make him an offer, guys. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 